Target. Maximum firepower. Ice for impact! Welcome to the Brace for Impact podcast, where we tell you how to be better at Star Wars Armada. Today we're going to analyze a few of our last battle reports and discuss activation advantage and player bids. So to kick us off, um, you know we've had a couple of, of battle reports go up this month. The first one was Fortress of Solitude versus the Icebreaker, which is match six on our YouTube. What did you think of this battle? This one, like, obviously I was running the the SSD, and I think I had, like, a pretty good deployment. But this was a game where I, I failed to acknowledge um, that I needed to stop focusing so hard at the objective and just turn right in for the kill. So I think in, in this one I lost the game, like, around round two when I turned my big Superstar Destroyer front arc away from the Starhawk, and then you just got several clean double arcs on my side after that, and then it just slowly tore me apart. The objective on this one kind of baited you, right? Like, you wanted to... And, and you always tend to play your list with a plan, right? So your plan going in was like... I'm going to lay these obstacles so that my Superstar Destroyer can, on turn one, kind of like get into position to snag all three of them and score 45 points right away. Um, but stepping back and thinking like, okay, this is two ISDs instead of one Superstar Destroyer. Like on in no world would you have turned one of your I, ISDs away from the fight on turn one. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. It just like never would have happened. You would have thrown it in there for the kill and considering the power in the front arc of the superstar destroyer and how close that game was like just i think delaying the turn by one more round would have been like a win for you i didn't i don't really see myself winning that game if you got like a f another full front arc shot on my fleet i just i just feel like i failed to fully grasp that it was a starhawk just a single starhawk with two flotillas versus a Star Destroyer with two flotillas, which means that I should have just gone straight forward and just ram smashed, not let you turn away until I get as many front arc shots in you as I can. And, and really, it just came down to the fact that you got more double arcs than I did, you rolled more dice than I did, and so I lost. <laughs> and, yeah. and basically, when you're at that kind of point where you have one like a uh, flagship versus another flagship the objective points unless you have like a significant uh swing they don't really matter like i got one two three i got four of the objective tokens by the end of the game but that's not a whole that's not worth a whole superstar destroyer you know right especially with like a fleet that has just one fighting ship right like you had two flotillas and some squadrons and i had two flotillas and some we squadrons. had almost like, the exact same like style of list is a flagship and a couple flotillas and some squadrons i mean you had significantly better and more expensive squadrons but i think the the makeup of it was was really similar right i got as close to building a superstar destroyer for the rebels as i could and then filled the gap with squadrons compared to your list right so but really what that means is all that mattered was which flagship died because the whole list deletes itself yeah right which isn't the normal case right so suiciding into someone's flagship isn't always a smart move but if you guys both only have one ship like whoever knocks out the other one first insta wins so you know, identifying that quickly and deciding the 45 points of the objective don't matter, killing the flotillas don't matter, killing the squadrons really don't matter, except for the fact that that would prevent you from taking damage or improve your activation advantage. But really the only thing that mattered was who killed who first, the Starhawk or the SSD. Yeah, I think I think my plan for, for this game like would have worked better if I was flying against a more normal fleet, where it's not always guaranteed that... Yep. You know, if you kill a ship, then the entire match is done, you know? Right. But, I, I, yeah, I just think that not realizing that cost me the game. 
Yeah, and a Starhawk at gate. Commander, like, six defense tokens. Did the best job any ship could do of limiting the Palpatine officer advantage of, like, making me spend defense tokens to shoot you. So, yeah, I was getting, I was double arcing you and getting two shots and theoretically spending two defense tokens a turn, but they were two salvos, you know, like they were basically extra defense tokens on top of four standard defense tokens. Yeah, and, and my list was built around, like, using the salvo token from local fire control, using Reva domain to, to tap it back so I can get, like, more attacks off because that's one of the weaknesses of the SSD is that, you know, it's one activation, three attacks instead of two separate S or ISDs that have four attacks between them. So I was going in with this list thinking, all right, I'm going to use Palpatine. I'll get attacked. They'll spend a defense token. Attack me. Maybe they'll get a double arc. Probably pretty likely because, you know, SSD's big motherfucker. And then attack back with local fire control one or two times. And you didn't let that happen. You, you, you effectively shut down like a good portion of my list just from smart accuracy uh choices well the superstar destroyer basically has so many defense tokens that one accuracy can quickly become none accuracy um you know two brace two redirect i think a contain and then you switch to another contain for a salvo yeah. right so if you roll an attack on a superstar destroyer with that token setup and you get one accuracy which like it's not that common to get more than one accuracy unless you're specifically teching for it. Yeah. What are you going to do? Accuracy one of their brace tokens, then they just use the other one. <laughs> like, and then, yeah, it, it, it was just absurd. And then, like, I'm not accuracing a contain when I'm doing shield damage, right? I'm accuracing a salvo. <laughs> so, and then, like, I think I had XX9s. So, like, your contain can't affect that. So, I only had really one target to for my accuracy. And I just prevented the salvo as many times as possible. And if I hadn't, I would have died because that SSD got my Starhawk down to like well, a one HP or something. Yeah, it got it got really close. And I was also like, this is one of the few times I've ever run an SSD, and so I'm I'm just really poor at positioning it and and planning where it goes. So I think like round one, like I moved my Gazanti up. But then that really made it so that my SSD, like, even if I had Jezerod, I can't turn it that hard. Because it'll just fucking land right on the Gazanti. I just needed, yeah. I needed a better, uh, I needed more experience with how to move the SSD and where it can go on the table. My, my big disappointment that game, and, and I would address it if I ever fly this list again, which I, which I probably will. I really like uh, Fortress of Solitude. I would probably try to get one more activation in there oh really um by dropping a squadron or two and or dropping a couple of upgrades off of the starhawk mm -hmm. I, I think five is like a good number i really felt hamstrung by the fact that you and i both had four activations so like trying to last first you was super difficult and that was like the whole point of my list and then i would also not probably fly the i'm gonna slow you down to speed zero and then shoot you and speed up uh yeah, that, that was a change Again, that, that you just... did to the Fortress of Solitude that I don't think really worked for you at all. Yeah, I had a difficult time pulling it off against the Star Destroyer. And part of it might be that the SSD is just a lot harder to lock down than a normal ship. Like, I had raid, I had, you know, slowdown effects. The idea was, like, prevent him from nabbing back up. That way it doesn't matter, like... You know, I'll eventually get to shoot it because I'm going to slow it to speed zero and then block the nav command. But you were feeding tokens from your other ships. You, you know, would get a nav command and you always get a token as well. So raid does, does raid basically does yeah. nothing. It just reduces the effectiveness of my nav, which is kind of shitty. Right. So, you know, all of that combined made like the, the kind of the, the goal of my fleet not do what it was meant to do. But it was able to prevent you from doing what you wanted to do more. Yeah. Which is nice. And this is... Yeah, this, this match was before I discovered the hyperspace migration cheesiness. I think if I were to run the Icebreaker again, I would run it with, with hyperspace migration. Would you? Yeah. 
It has so, f so few ships. One, two, three, and then the SSD is so long, you can just put the purgles like right in the pocket and just bank those tokens. That's what, three, that's 60, 60 tokens times three? Yeah, it, I don't know if it would be as good as as with like a ship with a uh, fleet with more ships in it, though. Maybe not as good, but I mean, if I start the game and I have an almost guaranteed 180 point swing, and then you have to come at me all the way across, like I would lay the SSD on its side in the deployment zone, and then you've got to come all the way across the table start shooting me turn three and then good luck killing the SSD, you know? Yeah, I think you're a little bit obsessed with that objective right now. I I like how cheesy it is and the fact that it just makes you not want to pick it once you learn what it's about. Right. You have anything else on match uh, six? Um, no, I, I think the SSD, we, we might have an episode where we talk more about an SSD. I think it's a neat ship. I don't think it's very good. That's it. I, I don't think it's yeah. a very good ship. It's cool. I don't think it's better than two ISDs, which is what... Meanwhile, I think the Starhawk is a very good ship. I think the Starhawk is a very good ship, yeah. And I think sometimes it is better than two ISDs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the Starhawk is good when it's lean and when it's Christmas treed out. Yeah. Like, with uh, Whalex, ECM, Agate, like... It's, it's a pretty APT. mean ship, yeah. Like, it can get disgusting and really, like, wreck some shit. Like, like you see it, like, kind of, like, put out a lot of damage on the Superstar Destroyer in that match. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bring a refined uh, version of that list at some point with, uh, with some changes based on what we learned in that battle. Mm -hmm. All right, what about match seven? This one just dropped today. Uh, this one is Heavy Duty versus... The Ballista Group. Mm -hmm. What did you think of this game? This was another one of those games where I had an idea for a list. My plan kind of changed in deployment, but it still worked out like pretty well in my favor. Um, a lot of things didn't go the way I, I wanted them to, but overall, things worked as expected. What did you think about this game? I'm of two minds about it. You have two minds? Well... Yeah, so on the one hand, I feel like my fleet didn't match up super well against your fleet. Mm -hmm. And I probably would not fly Heavy Duty in its current mix again. Didn't really love most of the list. I just have really been itching to fly Hammerheads and have them be fun and good. You know, same with the Pelta. You know, I've also, I feel like I've been all over the place in what I've wanted to fly, right? So you see some bombers in there and Dodonna because I like Dodonna crits with bombers and I got some hammerheads in there because I, I kind of want to see them fly around and, you know, I really do love an MC-75. So it's kind of just like thrown together. Not a lot of synergy in there with a lot of the components. Yeah, it was just like, I want to fly a list of a bunch of stuff that I like. Mm -hmm. And I walked into... A ballista group, which is kind of a remix of Suicide Squad, in the fact that it's two raiders, two architons, and then one more ship. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's it's anti Suicide Squad because Suicide Squad wants to get in close, and this one doesn't. Right, because it's decap raiders with a decap victory. And I just want to say, a disposable capacitors on a victory star destroyer is disgustingly good i will say with two asterisks of against ships with no brace token and with gunnery teams <laughs> like it wrecked the hammerheads because they were just taking six dice to the face at long range you know, and there was not much they could do about it I just like being able to f throw my full dice armament out at, like, long range and then yeah. do it again as we move in. It's like, god damn. Decaps are super Decaps fun. Decaps are so good. I'm glad you brought Gunnery Team. I feel like you've been avoiding it because it's just so amazing. Well, I just wanted to use, like, the salvo, and I really think that um, in the future we're either going to get 
a lot more um, variable defense token cards like we've been seeing recently, like with Krista, with local fire control, um, other cards like Nita, where you can switch out a defense token for another one. I feel like we're going to be yeah. seeing a lot more of those and a lot more um, ship uh, setups that'll have different uh, defense token kits. I hope so. But but anyway, heavy duty, on the one hand, right, like I'm like, it wasn't a really well-designed list in my opinion. It wasn't flown super well. Like watching the match, I'm like, those hammerheads were going in a little fast, getting deleted on round two. They probably should have gone slower or approached differently. But then fire lanes, like, it's like, okay, if you're not going into the fire lanes, like, you're going to lose on points no matter what, right? Fire lanes is a disgusting objective. Yeah. I feel like it wasn't balanced for stacking all the objective tokens on, on top of each other. You know, I feel like fire lanes should be like, you place them, you know, distance there four There should have away. been a minimum distance between them. Yeah, like, I would say like distance four between them. Like the minefield has a minimum distance between each mine. I right? mean, it's like distance one or something, but but I think the the distance for fire lanes should be like four or five even, you know? It's just, you just stack them on top of each other and then it's, all right, now you have to come here. I'm going to get 100,000 points before you can even attack, and then you now you're at a disadvantage, and I've got you out of position. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard choice because I had... Um, well, so minefield is... Like, so minefield, they have to actually be distance five from each other mine. Oh, do they? Oh, no, the, the obstacles have to be distance five of each other, each other obstacle. Mm -hmm. And then... Mines are just, like... Uh, the the mines can be distance one of each other, but there's, like, a restriction on, like, how far apart the rocks are. So, like, if there was a restriction on fire lanes of, like, they have to be three apart or they have to be four apart, right? Because basically, fire lanes is encouraging you to stack them in a group and then place all of your ships in front of it and with all of the arcs pointed at one spot on the board as opposed to three spots on the board. Um, I don't hate that in general, that like focus to the location on the battlefield where the battle takes place. I just don't think Heavy Duty was able to deal with it. I would have picked another objective card, but the other two I think would have been even worse for me. Obviously, that's why I picked Fire Lanes. I agree. It, so, uh, you know, even thinking like this is my one mind about it, which is like not a great fleet, not battle tested not on a great objective against a fleet that I feel like is put together pretty well. On the other hand, when I watch the battle and I look at the dice that I rolled out of those bombers, <laughs> and if they had just rolled normal damage instead of, I think, like, so many blanks. If... if yeah. <clears throat> Dude, I, I like, was watching this match this morning... And you, op I open the game with four red dice, and then I get two natural double hits and TRC into an, a, a third double hit. That's my opening yep. roll. Your opening roll is Luke, and you roll a blank. Right. And I'm like, mm hmm. And that's honestly like the theme of most of that match. I think that the only ship of mine that ever did a good attack was the MT-75 against the Star Destroyer, where it basically one-shot it. It pretty much, yeah, slapped it right off the board, yeah. Um, which felt really good. Uh, I don't want to sound greedy, but if it had done one more damage in the actual shot, so I didn't have to waste my movement on it, would have been preferred. Yeah, because then you would have been in a better position. I would have been able to catch the Architons with the MT-75, but re like realistically... My 150-something points of MC-75 only did one thing, which was trade for your 150 points of Star Destroyer. And then didn't shoot at anything else or really do anything else yeah. in the entire match. 
So we were almost like playing a 250-point game, and I had a Pelta and two Hammerheads and two Squadrons against two Raiders and two Architons. Well, after round two, you had a Pelta. So... You can see my predicament. Yeah, yeah. The, the hammerheads died because decaps is disgusting, and your dice were disgusting. My bombers really couldn't do anything because even though they had a shot every round after turn one, um, you, they had no they like re -rolls, no damage, which I think is super important for black dice bombers. It's re rolls. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can ever run black dice bombers without bomber command center again. Yeah. And like Keen, but Keen has built in re rolls, right? I could just literally never got rid of the shields on the Architons. Even on turn six, that Architons still had shields on multiple hull zones. Like, yeah. what the hell? Um, and, and that was because, like, they just weren't taking damage, right? Like, so many rounds of, of Luke and Kian whiffing, um, the MC-75 being way out of position because it wasted a whole turn bumping the uh, Star Destroyer. The Hammerhead's dying turn two, so, like... They don't get to do any damage. Like, it was just a mess. Like, like you moved one of your hammerheads in, it like threw a couple dice, and then you tapped and the other hammerhead so it couldn't even attack. So it was like... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a disaster. I feel like hammerheads... I feel like they need to be in a different list. Like, if you have a hammerhead with Dudana, it should just be the Garel's Honor hammerhead. And just one of them. I don't think yeah, trying to do the task force hammerheads works. And obviously, like, Garel's Honor with, like, X-Rax, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I agree. Well, we'll see. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Heavy-duty, heavy, heavy duty, not not super fun to fly. No, do not recommend. We'll, we'll stamp do it with a... Do me to recommend a... <laughs> we'll stamp it with a is not complete. Heavy-duty, not, the, not... The most fun list that I've required. flown so far on the, the entire... For the whole show... Of all the episodes, the most fun list that I've flown so far is Fleet of Justice, uh, the Sato list. I think that's pretty well put together. There are a few t tweaks I'll make if I bring it out of out of the hangar. Um, but yeah, that, that that list is pretty bad. Oh yeah, Fleet of Justice. Yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so good. The Salvation Obnoxiousness. Yeah. Yeah, I want I want to put Opening Salvo as the objective on it the next time I fly it. Yeah, so so if you were to remake Fleet of Justice, like what would you do for it? Oh, um, I would switch out a squadron for Ketsu, I think, just because I think Bomber Rogue with two blue dice is very very strong. Would what would you switch out? Because you you don't have very much in the way. Like, would you you wouldn't switch out Shar or Tycho, obviously. Would you switch out Rogue Squadron for Ketsu? Okay, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. So I would probably take because mm. you've got GR seventy five with Tor and Far, right? Or do you? Have, oh, this is the list. Yeah, no, no GR seventy five. GR seventy five. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it feels really thin, doesn't it? It does. But it, it works does really look well. Really thin. Yeah. Han, I think, becomes Lando. Oh yeah, but Han was really good because at the start of the ship phase, he can move. Yeah, it's not that. It's it's good, but it's not that good. Lando Lando's just changing so a red die to a double. And Lando is way cheaper. Three points, yeah. So I'd change Han to Lando. That would give me three more points. Um, if I had to swap a squadron, I would probably swap. I don't know. I might drop Shara for Ketsu. Really? And that would put me at an, yeah, and that would put me at an even four hundred. Mm. Shara is fine. She's great. She's amazing if you get However, into a squadron entanglement. Yes. Although, yes, you're right. I don't know. I need to think about it more because this list is... Um, it's very, there's not it's a very lot of, tight, yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of changes that can even be made. It's making me look at the Assault Frigate and think, like, should Sato be on something else and save my, you know, a few more points? I guess you'll have to see the next time I fly it what the changes are. All right, let's try uh, segment two. Talk about activation advantage and um, first and second player bid. So I guess um, you know the question I want to pose to you is uh, how important is activation advantage, and how do you think about activation advantage when you're building a fleet? 
Yeah, activation advantage is super important when, I mean, you want your ships to do damage when you want them. Like, if you out-deploy your opponent and you have a bunch of squadrons and only, like, three ships, I mean, you really have to go hard on squadrons if you want to do any significant damage early on. Because you're, you're like, big ISD is not going to be in the right position to fire on the opponent's ships when they get there. Yeah. And I know in the last episode we talked about deployment advantage and wanting to be at, like, four to six deployments, you know. However, once the deployment phase is over, you know, the advantage of the person who has deployment advantage kind of ends there, right? Mm -hmm. He's made his decisions about deployment, taken advantage of his deployment advantage, positioned himself better maybe than you did, um, and now that's locked in, and the rest of the game proceeds, and you don't get to continue drawing from your deployment advantage really on round one, two, three, you know, yeah. like, activation advantage is different. If you have more activations than your opponent, you get more activations than your opponent every round for the whole game. So that puts your opponent in a difficult situation of, you know, maybe they have an Imperial Star Destroyer and they really don't want to move it into range of your, you know, defiance. Yeah. But they're moving at speed two and you have two more activations than them or even just, you know, one more activation than them and your second, you know, whatever. They have to move it into range of Defiance. And then Defiance will shoot it. And because the game is shoot and then move, the person who moves last gets to shoot and then move out of range. Or the person who moves last, right? Or the reverse, right? Like Defiance doesn't, like, Defiance is the type of ship to, like, you sh it shoots at you and then kind of moves out of range, right? But there are other ships that, like, you know, an MC-30, he wants to be out of range. You come into his range, he shoot you, and then he, you know, is moving across your bow or behind you or something like that. Like, because I have an activation advantage, every round of the game, my... Ships can move with, like you said, more knowledge. They can move in a position that I know, you know, maybe they can't get shot at. I can get out of range, right? Like, I can force the hand of my opponent because I have more ships, even if it's just one more ship. Yeah, or move with more information than the opponent. Like, that's really what we're getting at. It's very, very important, and when I build a fleet, I always am thinking, how many activations does this fleet have? Does it need more? Is it enough? You know, generally, you want to have three to five activations, and the more, the better. Right? I would say three is on the low end. You want four to five. Yeah, if you have three, you better have, like, I guess good reason for it. Like, why aren't you... Yeah. Like, if you have three, right, you're probably, like... SSD with two Gazantes, and then you're thinking, okay, why am I not putting strategic advisor? Or I guess with SSD, you have pass token, right? So you get four. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so SSD with two Gazantes gets it in the range of like four, yep. which is on the lower end, but not three. Like like the difference between three activations is four, is and four is actually like super significant. Yep. It's the difference between being able to shoot a ship with your big ISD and not being able to shoot it once and then it moves in front of you and then attacks you again and moves away. Yeah. So it's the difference between attacking a ship and not ever attacking it and probably just dying right there. So you know, when you're thinking about building your fleet obviously more points spent is higher likelihood to have more activations right? But mm -hmm. sometimes you want to bid for either first player or second player and that plays into activation advantage right second player you know with equal number of ships second player goes last quote unquote so gets that activation advantage of forcing their opponent into the position that they want them to be in um, but first player gets the advantage of well shooting first right and so if you kill something when you shoot first it doesn't get to go you know you 
it's the classic example of the best defense is a good offense where I shoot you and kill you and now you can't shoot me back. So haha, right? Yeah. So you don't always want to build to the max points value and, and sometimes you're like, oh, I want a five point bid or I want a 10 point bid because I'm building a fleet that wants to go first or I'm building a fleet that wants to go second or I'm building a fleet that doesn't really care. Those are, in my opinion, a little bit trickier. So you're saying that like, during list building, you're thinking about whether your list wants to go first or second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Sometimes I'll build a, a, a fleet that doesn't care about, you know, about second, wants to go first, and I put a lot less thought into how my fleet interacts with the objectives. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're going first, you ha- sometimes you have to make a call on whether or not you're even going to go for the objective at all. Right. And whether or not you're just going to point all your guns on target and just see if you can wipe them off the table. Right. Like Fortress of Solitude would have won its game if you didn't think about the objective. Yeah, I was I was just planning for a different outcome and it didn't happen. So let's talk about a fleet that wants to go first. Okay. Um you know if I'm building a list and, and I actually like to build fleets that want to go second, but fleets that want to go first are typically ships with a Strong, single, powerful activation, uh, an Imperial fleet with an ISD or a Demolisher or um, a Rebel fleet with like a MC-30 with APTs and all, like, all the jazz or, you know, a, some sort of a hammer that wants to mm-hmm. hit something so hard uh, that it kills it <laughs> and then kind of flies off into, into the, the distance, right? Demolisher being, I think, the prime example of how to take maximum advantage of first player um let's assume you have activation advantage and your first player if that's the case that means you go first and you can go last so maybe on turn two your demolisher is out of range of your target you move in shoot because you can shoot after you move one time with demolisher and then that, that ability is busted. It's busted. Uh, and then on the next turn, your first player, so you activate Demolisher immediately again. You know, nobody's had a chance to do anything in between those two moments in time. Shoot two more times at the enemy and then move again. And at no point did that ship have the ability to shoot back at Demolisher before it shot three times and then moved out of whatever arc is the most scary of the enemy ship. Or. Or the ship's just dead, right? Because you got... The ship will probably be dead if you triple tap with demo. Right. Especially if you have it kitted out properly. Like, if you have APTs, that's... Ordinance experts. Whatever damage you're doing. Yeah. Plus one for for the damage, because APT doesn't change it to a crit. It gives an additional damage card that is face up right. to whatever else other damage is done. If you do that three times to a ship, it's probably dead. It's probably dead. Not much can survive that. Right. And demo gets to do that multiple times a game right it's not just like oh one time and then like he's done you your first player with activation advantage you get to do this every round so yeah you know keeping that kind of stuff in mind when you're building your list is is super important so you know i I would say more generally like if i have fleets with ships that throw black dice or a bunch of black dice that's another sign to me that maybe i want to go first because black dice ships have to be closer, which means I want to manipulate where I am on the board versus my opponent more, or I want to make sure I get the shot. And a lot of times, making sure you get the shot, shot means go first. Because let's say I'm going, I'm let's say I'm second player. This has happened to me before against you, by the way. And I've got a <laughs> an MC30 torpedo. Forget. And I, you know, I'm second player. I move him last because I don't want him to get shot at before he can get in range. So you shoot your stuff. I move into range, right, of a ship. I move into range of a, a Gladiator or an Architans or whatever. You're a first player. The next turn, you activate the ship that is threatened the most and then fly it away as quickly as possible. And now my Torpedo Frigate has no target. And now it's out of position. And now it has to spend its turn shooting at nothing or shooting just a couple of blue dice, which... Nobody wants to be doing with an MC-30. And then he moves to another target, right? Because I'm, I'm doing a good job. I'm navving. I'm making sure I can get my ship on target. On the next turn, you move that ship first and out of range. 
right? So you can have an yeah. MC-30 as second player running around the board and you know, all the ships are scattering. The only way you can really deal with that is <laughs> to either position it so you have multiple targets in black dice range on the same turn or you take first player. Yeah, I think with the scenario you're talking about of being second player and moving a black die range ship in position and waiting and preparing to get the shot, like all that's possible while you're second player. You can certainly set up a scenario where you have one ship that rolls black dice and you have another ship and, and you bait the opponent into position and, and you can make it happen as second player. But you're, you're living with the cost of not having been first player, that's putting you at a positional disadvantage from being second player and having ships that just can't attack with their full armament all the time. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Like, like when I build a list and, and I see a, a ship that has more than like a couple black dice, I'm, I'm trying to bid for first. Yeah, because even just two or three black dice. I mean, if I'm running a ship with three black dice, I'm bidding hard for first, no matter what. Yeah, and I'll decide if I if I want second, uh, depending on what other list I'm I'm flying against. But most likely, if I have a, a single ship, one ship, one ship in my fleet has three black dice, I'm going first. I'll spend ten points, fifteen points for it. Like I have to have it. Right. Three black dice is game-changing on one ship. It's game-changing. So let's talk about a fleet that wants to go second. If you're, if you're wanting to go second, either you are assuming your opponent will bid for first and maxing out your points, or you're assuming your opponent will bid for second and you're, you're also trying to bid for second. I think, at least where we play, most people don't bid for second, because second yeah. is usually disadvantageous unless you have a list that knows that knows who it is, you know, in its heart of hearts. This is a, <laughs> you know, a, a fleet with a bomber wing that, you know, we brought superior positions and precision strike and, you know, maybe fighter ambush or, you know, some squadron friendly objectives and we really want to use them and our opponent's going to bid for first so we'll max out to 400 points and we'll take second right um when i build a fleet that wants to go second if if i'm halfway through list construction and i don't already know what my three objectives cards are i rethink it like it should yeah, be rethink the whole fleet at that inherent point. to the entire strategy if you're going second that that your objectives are giving you like 150 points worth of advantage because that's in my opinion almost how much first player can be worth you know if they're playing first player well it's like you got to make up for it somehow you always have to think i'm second player how am i making up for the disadvantage how am i making up for the fact that my my opponent can choose every single turn their most threatened ship to shoot me and then fly away <clears throat> yeah you either have to think about objectives as how many points can give this objective give me during the course of the game that can make up for not having first player? Or how can this objective get me in a better position to deal with first player than any other objectives? Right. I think a lot of like fighter heavy lists uh, like to go second. There's a little bit of an advantage there where like um, if we each have four fighters and, you know, they're just activating in the squadron phase, the person who engages, like who doesn't engage is the one who gets to shoot, right? One person flies in but can't shoot, the second person can shoot, right? Like going second is good. Yeah. I think in general going second is good with squadrons except in specific scenarios. I think uh, squadrons like second player inherently more than other lists because, I mean, squadrons have their own round. Right. They have, the, they have the squadron phase. So it doesn't matter if you're going second or first or about your activation advantage. If you have squadrons that haven't attacked this round, well, at the end, they still get to attack and or move. Right. And then there are some fleets that don't much care, I think, about first or second player. And these are... Yeah, I think those fleets are harder to build than 
fleets that want specifically to go for first or second. Right. With, with this, I think it's harder to have a, an all-round fleet. With this like fleet, that. you go for like a five or so point bid, I think. Right? Like yeah, five seven. Bid, you know, you know you're, you're just bidding a little bit so that like when you come up against someone who bids a full 400, like you can kind of decide. Based, like, you know, if you if you come against someone with a 400-point list with a fighter wing, like, you know, they really want to be second, probably, right? They really probably <laughs> yeah. want you to pick superior positions or, or precision strikes. So, like, you could just take second away from them and kind of make them sad about it if you wanted to. It, it gives you the option, and the option is sometimes its own power. Yeah, like, if they only have three ships and then the rest of their list is, like, squadrons, like, maybe you just take that shit from them set up your fire lanes and the squadrons can't uh, interact with that objective at all and you know maybe that'll give you an advantage I, I still think going first in that scenario can be beneficial but that's really like a mulligan call you have to make while you're looking at your opponent you know yeah so like how much do you bid for a fleet like mm. like if you want to go first or second first i think anything up to i think I think for first, 20 points is too much, and anything under 20-point bid is okay. I agree. Because like once you're getting to 20 points, then you start affecting your activation and deployment advantage, because that's like two squadrons or an entire GR-75. And if you don't have those slots like filled already, and you're bidding 20 points, it's probably better to take a GR-75. Well, GR-75s are only like 18 points, right? Right. And and that's kind of why Jesus. that threshold for me is right there, because yeah, because twenty points is another GR seventy five with comms net, which can inherently be better than a twenty point bid for first. Because I'm getting that activation the on activation the on the back end, yeah. right? Like if I'm build, yeah. if I'm bidding twenty five points, and I could have had one more activation, and then my special ship that I really want to go first is like forced to to come into range of something before it wants to. I'm I'm losing that advantage, basically, right? I'm taking a hit when I didn't want to. So that's kind of the max for first player. Most of yeah, the time I would I'd... say around, around that is, is like the threshold for me as well, because whenever I'm like you know, thinking about my bid, it's, it's always around like a little over 16 to 20 points is like that's around too much for me because that's about the cost of a couple TIE Fighters. Once I get past like a 16-point bid, that's when I'm like, I could have another deployment. And, and for Empire, deployment advantage, I think, is, is much better to have. When you put your Star Destroyer down, you don't want them to put their ship down afterwards, typically. Exactly. Um, beyond that, a lot of times, my specific number of points that I'm bidding, quote-unquote, is, is, in general determined by like like if i want to bid hard or not but sometimes like with the fleet of justice it has a bid of like two points and this was only because i couldn't find two points worth of something i wanted to add right yeah like i wasn't going to just throw hondo in there for just to throw it in there right like it didn't really ma make I sense with the list, so I didn't... You don't have Hondo in Fleet of Justice? Why are you talking to me? <sighs> I roll. Hondo's the best boy, dude. He's the best. Sometimes you just get to a, a number of points that you think is reasonable, and you don't try to make your fleet worse in your mind just to reach a threshold bid. Like Sometimes you just you build it to what you build it to, and you know if I'm bidding four points or five points, like I'm not going to reconfigure my list to get to, to six-point bid, right? Because a lot of yeah, times, I, agree. I don't build my list to go first. So I'm just building my list to what I think is reasonable. And if I have a couple point bid, and that's how it worked out, great. I think it's better to have a uh, 398 or 399 point list than an exact 400 point list. Because then if you're flying against another uh, list that wants to go second and they have 400 points... That's not that big of a difference to really affect the game, like a, a 20 point bid versus a 400 point uh, fleet. And then you can just bid and just take second from them. Right. From a, from a fleet that doesn't have a bid at all. Exactly. So I, I, I think doing that is much better than, like, like you said, putting Hondo in to fill out your fleet to 400. 
just just to do it you know for me that's not yeah that's not i mean I eventually do. if you fly a, a fleet long enough eventually you're going to come across a list where you're like oh shit i have to have second for this because he's got a shitload of squadrons he's probably got fighter ambush strategic positions and precision strike you know and then you can just deny that from them and and deal your objectives you know exactly okay so i think one thing we haven't talked about with activation advantage is there are some cards that influence your activations namely yeah strategic advisor bail and governor price and you know i'll caveat this by saying it seems like they won't be relevant in two months um, with Armada 1.5 and the Clone Wars and the new card set and all of that jazz. It looks like this is going to be end of life and replaced with pass tokens for for everyone. But uh, if you're planning on playing Armada in the next two months, you know, pay attention to the rest of this. And if you're not, you know, it's, it's, this is this is the end for you, my friend. Well, well, it's still good to understand how to use these cards and, and what advantage they give you. Because, I mean, they're not just getting burned up. They're getting replaced by something. So the advantage that these cards are giving you, it's, it's probably good to, to think about that. So that going forward, when we just get past tokens inherently in whatever, whatever kits, I mean, you know what that's good, good for. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So the first one, Strategic Advisor, large ship only. When it's your turn to activate, you may exhaust this card to pass your turn. Your opponent activates a ship instead. This came out because for a while MSU was making larger ships basically not worth it because the activation advantage was just so great that they could force your ISD into a position to get then chain attacked by like five Corvettes and there was really nothing you could do about it. Though giving large ships uh, an activation for just four points kind of really brought them into the into the game more. Mm-hmm. This this is one of like my my favorite cards. It's a great card come out recently is so good it's it really affects the game in a significant way but in like a positive way and not like in a, a negative way you know yeah i would say for the most part yes um you know when your star destroyer sees a threat ahead strategic advisor wait it out wait till the stuff moves into your you know front arc of your gunnery teams isd2 with xi7s and you know and then once the target is there then you activate and what's great is you know it's a may card right so strategic advisor on turn one on turn two maybe even turn three you're definitely using this because you know there's no targets in range yet or whatever or you're Mm -hmm. afraid you're going to move into the arc of something you don't want to move into but on a turn where you know you maybe you're a first player and there's the enemy you don't do it and you just go right so it, it's really nice to have that that flexibility with him and uh he's a staple card on large ship lists that don't have very many activations and want to get to like the, like we talked about like at least four yeah and i think it's important to note that like we've all played against uh matches where each player has strategic advisor and you know maybe sometimes you know you both do the double tap for round one and two and then no one uses strategic advisor for the rest of the game but it's it's important to remember to use strategic advisor to your advantage even in the case where you each have strategic advisor because you can sometimes uh press their their ship their large ship to go first that has strategic advisor on it maybe you've got it out of position and now you get a bonus activation that they've missed out on because they forgot to, to tap their their Plo Koon guy. Right. Gotta love Plo Koon. And then maybe maybe you kill their maybe you kill their ship that's holding strategic advisor. Now you got double activation advantage. It's it's great. It's great. This is just a great card. Cheap at four points, for sure. Speaking of cards that may or may not be great, we have Bale Organa next. Medium or large ship only. After deploying fleets, you may place one round token on this card at the start of the ship phase of the round, matching that round token. If you are the second player, you must activate. If you are the first player, you may gain up to two command tokens of your choice. Okay, so, Bale. You know, the the idea behind Bale is for one round, 
second player gets to go first. And we spent a lot of this podcast talking about how great going first is. So you have... And having activation advantage going last and then going first. Right. Is very good. So, you know, one out of six turns you're going first. That's that's great. Nobody cares about going first on turn one, really. A lot of... A lot of battles I see don't care about going first on turn two that much. Turn three, four, and five are a different story, and going first can really make a difference. If you know what turn you want to engage the enemy on, setting bail down on that turn can be a huge advantage. You know, it gives second player a chance to last first someone if they have activation advantage. Maybe use this for a Yavaris into Yavaris activation where you're double tapping three bombers two times in a row on a single ship and like completely nuking a star destroyer maybe you're using it for you know an mc30 torpedo frigate to go first on a turn where it really wants to or mc80 or a starhawk like this is a really 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 interesting card for sure now saying that it's interesting is all well and good but I don't think it's very good at all. Right. Because like the two best examples I could think of were on ships that this card cannot go on. He can only yeah. go on medium ships and large ships. Which means he can only go on large ships yes. because you're not putting him on a assault frigate. Right. So Like why would you why would you do that? You could put him on a Starhawk, you and could also, put him on an MC seventy five or it's seven points and it takes up the officer slot. Which is one of the most highly contested rebel upgrade slots. Right. And like, I would take strategic advisor over Bail Organa every time. The only reason I would take Bail Organa is if I'm trying to do some cheeky shit with like a large MC-75 that has black dice. And I know I want to go second for some reason, and I'm building around a black dice ship in a second player fleet and I already have strategic advisor. Right. Then I would take bail, but then after we do all that, now I have a bad fleet that doesn't synergize with itself. Right. So he also can't be on a fleet that doesn't deploy during the deployment phase of the beginning of the game, you know? Like if if uh Yeah, so like hyperspace assault. Right. Can't Radis him in. And, and he can't Radis him in. He doesn't work with Radis, which is like, I understand why that doesn't work. It would be cool. He would be cooler if he was on a small sh- if he could be on a small ship and no other ships. He'd be amazing. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why that restriction is so important for him. Probably because of the MC30. Probably like, because of your bars. Probably yeah. Probably because of all that shit. You know, it's like I don't want to live in a world where your bars can last first me i'm just happy without question. i'm actually happy this card is going away so i don't have to think about anymore whether or not he's good i would just rather he get reprinted into a better card like his ability is not good not good for what he is what upgrade he is and how much he costs right and his restrictions and then it's like if you somehow lose the bid and then like you don't get second player and your first player, you just get two command tokens on one turn. Okay. On one turn, it's like oh god. All right. It's just better to not put this card in your list and have a seven point bid. Fail. Right, because then you're just going first every round. <laughs> then you're just going for like it's just better not. The only reason you run him is if you're trying to do some cheeky shit with a large ship that has black dice. The, right. And it's, you already have strategic advisor. And you're planning to go second. It's it's and like it's just too like I need to set up the perfect scenario and then this amazing thing will happen. But when you get into the heat of battle, your perfect scenario is unlikely to happen because your opponent looks at Bale and sees what number token is on him and says, I will make sure that the ship with Bale is not near one of my ships on that round. Exactly. Okay. Fun. Right? Like, it's just... Yeah. Anyway. And look, I, we, we sound like super negative about this, but like, this is one of those cards that I dislike. Not because I think it can never work. It's just, I don't build fleets 
around abilities that might only work sometimes. I build a fleet, I want that, that fleet to synergize every single round, every single game, no matter what fleet I'm playing against. Right. That's what I want. I don't want Bale where I play 10 games and it works so fantastically amazing twice out of those 10 games. Right. That's not a good card to me. I agree. Governor Price, medium or large ship only. After deploying fleets, you may place one round token on this card. If you do, during the round matching that round token, you must activate at the end of the ship phase after all other ships have activated. Now, I think that Governor Price is better than Bale because her ability is kind of different, but also because she is for the Empire. And Empire just has like less activations than the Rebel fleet. Like inherently, like their ships are just more expensive. Yeah. It's just a fact. And medium ship is not restrictive like Bale is. We've got the Interdictor, we got Victories, we got Quasars. You know, we actually have medium ships yeah. instead of our medium ship is the Assault Frigate and nothing else. Yeah. You know? Whose idea was that? Um, but like putting her on a large ship like an ISD and just being able to stall it in like round two or three that is that can be incredibly good I mean that's all that's all I have to say like I mean she has a cool ability my only problem with her is like I would have to make a list that uses her and uses her well and then fly that fleet several dozen times before I'm used to her and can really utilize like how good her ability is and I don't know if I would want to fly a fleet like that many times like that would be so much better having her in it than just having something else like strategic advisor the the way the governor price is good I think is, you know, you want to be first player. Mm -hmm. And the turn that you set down for price ahead of time, which is always the trick, right? Yeah. Your ship is basically sitting there waiting for the enemy to get in range. You know, so like the ideal circumstance for Governor Price is like, I don't know, an ISD2 that... You know, at the beginning of the turn, wasn't really in range of you know two rebel ships, but because you had Governor Price, every single one of them had to move into blue dice range, and you have gunnery teams, and then you activate Governor Price, and you blow up two of them, and then move in at the end of the round, and then your first player, mm -hmm. so it gets to activate a second time immediately afterwards, and then blows up two more rebel ships, and then you know you know, one forward to victory after that, and, and the game is basically over, right? Like that's the Wow, Governor Price could be so good if that happened every single game. But guess what? Just like with Bale, like this doesn't happen every single game for you. Like your opponent will know, like your 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 opponent can see the number that you put on Governor Price, just like Bale, and knows like, okay, the ISD is gonna want to do this on turn three. So let's make sure we aren't near it. Like that's it. Like it, you're it. These these kinds of cards just have too much counterplay from your opponent versus something like strategic advisor that they can't do anything about. Like you just strategic advisor and they have to go again. Yeah, that that's really a, a good point. Is like strategic advisor, the most counterplay your opponent has is having their own strategic advisor. Yep. That's the only thing that they can do about it. Also, like, you know, killing the ship. Like imagine if Governor Price and Bale were discard effects that you could just do once a game whenever you wanted. And they would be insane. I don't know about that. I don't know they, about I that. I mean, that's right. You're thinking in your head right now, wow, if it was like that, they would both be ridiculously good auto-includes on every good list, right? 10 points. They'd have to be 10 points. Right. They have. Yeah. They couldn't be 7 points. They, they would have but to be so much more expensive. What FFG chose as the restriction at the beginning of the game, placing a token that tells everyone when it's going to happen... I don't want my opponent to know what I'm going to do the thing I'm going to do. I want to do the yeah, thing I'm going to um, do and they, you know, aren't able to prepare the entire game for it. Like, 
what are they just supposed to forget that Bale's gonna make your Starhawk go first on turn four? Like, no, turn three they're moving everything <laughs> no. away. That's it. Yeah. So I mean, I would say that like these cards we're talking about, like Price is significantly better than Bale. Like she has more of a home to live in. But all right, so like, what would we rate these cards? Like Strategic Advisor, like. Like, what grade do you give that? Out of, what, like, five stars? Or, like, one to ten? or No, like, like A, B, C. Oh, A, B, C. Like... Oh, Strategic Advisor is an A. It's an, yeah, it's it's an, an A. a card in one of the most important slots in the game, Officer Slot. A card. Oh, and, and another important thing, like, if you're running a list with a single large ship, you have to have a very specific plan if you're not taking Strategic Advisor. Yeah. Like, I would auto-include this in, in single large ship fleets. Like, if you have a large ship and a couple other small ships, like, your officer on the large ship should be strategic advisor. Unless you, you must have that officer. It's just so much better that way. I agree. I, I agree that strategic, strategic advisor is an A. Bail and Price, I think... I, I hear what you're saying about Price. I actually don't think she's better than Bail. You don't? No. I think she's better than Bale because she's in a different faction. She's for Empire, so she's better. And and her ability to go last helps the Empire more than Bale's ability to go first. I say Bale is a D and Price is a D plus. I say Bale's an F. <laughs> it's like pay points to get an effect of first player. But by spending those points, you don't have first player every round. It's like he's like he's like a trap. He's a trap card. You you use him if you're doing like cheeky shit, and cheeky shit doesn't win games all the time. It'll win games some of the time. Enough to make you want to keep playing your cheeky shit that isn't that good. I guess I'd say price is like a C, a C plus. Wow. She's in a weird spot for me because like I haven't used her very much and when I've used her it's it's really only in like Sloan lists that I put her in which I think is her home but I don't think Sloan lists are very amazing. Yeah. Like they'll win a game but a lot of like so many people have played against Sloan lists and have just gotten used to what that list does is I mean you either smash a list really hard or you get a tie most of the time you just end up tying oh you just end up tying most of the time you think with sloan with sloan like like it i've run that list so many times and it just doesn't absolutely decimate the other person it just doesn't i can never pick up all their their shit from the table it kind of makes me want to play a sloan list for some of our next battle reports because I'm so off on it. Yeah, I mean, I'll fly Fortress of Solitude and you guys can chew through my 70 defense tokens. I know, right? It's like... Sloan? Does Sloan just... get to pick which token gets flipped? Yeah. It feels so good. It just feels so good. It feels so good, but I don't know. It's... Whenever I've played it, it hasn't been amazing. The biggest problem with the I... Sloan list, I think, is like the Quasar doesn't have... The stamina. Yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have gumption. And it's if like, you come up against a, a, a actual scary like squadron list, like with real aces in it, you actually get, you destroyed, get destroyed. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. imagine Fleet of Justice versus any Sloan list. Right. Like, Char just drops into the middle of the Tie Fighters. Han is just like nuking shit. Like, it's just not a good time when you don't have very many defense tokens on your squadrons and you're just getting blown yeah, to hell. You, you send in all the squadrons and then I get I get absolutely eaten and then you just flack and it's like the problem with Sloan is like it makes you want to run a bunch of ties. Yeah. But I don't think having a lot of ties is a very good setup and I mean I know that list can work. I've seen it work. It's just most of the time I've found that you go even or and like your just games aren't very exciting or uh, i i wonder if maybe in the past year or so people have come up with better squadron compositions for sloan 
that are more effective against like a Riken fleet, you know? Maybe. Something to consider. Makes me want to fly slow on this. I need to paint some ties. Also, ties are boring to paint, and that's why I haven't flown slow very much. Alright, so what are you flying next? Um, What's your next fleet, man? I don't know. I, what was that noise? You don't know? We're doing the Halloween uh, episode next, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, so what are you flying? I'm flying a uh, a Riken fleet, actually. Yeah? Lovely. Everyone loves Riken. Look, I haven't flown him yet. He is a very good commander. He will be very, very fun for me to fly. For the first time in, like, two years, uh, flying Riken. Yeah. Mm. What about you? What are you flying? I'm I'm running uh, a single ISD list, and and the whole point is like every other component of the list just pours into the ISD. So it's like I've got Interdoctor, I've got uh, Hand of Justice Arcatins, I've got Gazanti with Comsnet, and it's just going to be the ISD just just running in there and just being an unstoppable force. Sounds good. Can't wait to see Sounds it. Sounds good. Halloween episode next. Yep, Halloween episode next. All right. Well, that's it. Bye-bye. Ta-ta for now.